0: This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views
1: and debate from England's second tier.
0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elite Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing?
1: I'm very well, thank you, mate. Not bad at all. Good weekend for me, watching Wednesday win on the road, so can't complain. How about you?
0: Bad week for me, watching Blackburn Rovers lose twice, 3-0 on the road. Um, So, complete contrasting fortunes to to you there, getting battered in Berkshire and then uh, not doing too much better on the wrong side of the the city of Sheffield on uh, Saturday as well. So, not a great weekend for Rovers or, or week in general, but I'm glad at least you enjoyed your trip to Bolton.
1: I did indeed, mate. Excellent. Great day out.
0: Great day out indeed, but of course, plenty of good championship action for us to... Dissect and pick our way through in the next hour or so. Quick reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed and make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChamChatPod24. A big thank you as always to our sponsors Cards Accepted for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, make sure you visit CardsAccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RFP of all sum up devices, so make sure you go and check them out for all your business needs. And of course, on today's podcast, George, we'll be dissecting the weekend action as always as Sheffield United move top of the championship. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And we are going to start at Bramall Lane on our weekend roundup, George, as they beat Blackburn Rovers 3-0 to go top of the championship for the first time since Chris Wilder's days when they were in the championship, um, in fact, which was an interesting stat that I found out on Saturday they were the best team obviously a game I was at they were the best team from start to finish. They controlled the game the quality and depth that they've got put the game beyond any doubt when it was at one 0 Ilman and die looked so good. he only came on in the 71st minute but he just looks he looks like a real prospect and we obviously had pretty much his breakout season last year but he looks he looks like he's had a, a really good summer. he looks quicker he looks stronger. He looks more intelligent with his use of the ball. He looks like he can beat four men as he did for the set for the third goal, where he skipped past a few Blackburn Rovers challenges to fire in, and he was fantastic. And he only came in on for twenty minutes, and he was man of the match. Uh, Burge, very good as well. Uh, Anel Armedzovic—that's how it's pronounced. Ahmed Hodzic, is, I was told, is exactly how we should be pronouncing it. Um, he was quality as well from that right centre back spot. But in fairness, if you if you had his heat map up, he was basically playing like a right winger. Because Sheffield United had, had so much of the ball. Blackburn sat really deep, as they did at Swansea recently. But the difference was they didn't get up the pitch after the after the move broke down. They didn't then push up and get, off, or get up the pitch to press. Uh, and equally, Sheffield United moved the ball so much quicker than Swansea do. Uh, and they didn't get the first goal either. These were all the crucial sort of things that, that went from at Swansea that didn't at Bramall Lane. And I look at the Sheffield United squad, I just don't see any obvious weaknesses. You, like, you think of the team that played yesterday and then on the bench they've got uh, Ilman and Jai, Chris Basham, Tommy Doyle, Ryan Brewster, Billy Sharp's injured, Kieran Clark's injured. They've got these players to come back to like boost the squad. Um, and they had so many options. And James McAtee, another one, didn't get off the bench. And they already had such a strong team out with Reda Kadra and Oli McBurnie up front. McBurnie actually played really well as a number nine, but he did miss a couple of sitters um, to put it, to make it more emphatic and his goal right He's not scored since December 2020 in the league, George. So that that's a real barren spell for him. But he played quite well as a number nine, I have to say. He held the ball up really well. Um, so it was a good performance for him. First start for Reda Kadra as well, who obviously was on loan at Blackburn last season. He, he, I thought, looked quite lively. And had it not been for Kaminsky and some really good last-ditch tackles from Daniel Ayala, it could have been five or six, if I'm being completely honest. They created an ex- expected goals tally of 4.09. And as I say, but for better finishing or you know not as good goalkeeping or defending at the last ditch, it could have been a lot more emphatic. So really impressed by Sheffield United. Really impressed by Iliman and Jai in particular. That third goal, absolutely breathtaking stuff. And they they already look with the the squad they've got with the home form under Paul Heckingbottom. They look like they're going to be right there for automatic promotion.
1: Definitely. The home form really is something quite remarkable, to be honest with you, isn't it? They've really made Bramall Lane not just a fortress, they've made it a place where teams are now intimidated to go to. And Sheffield United, I watched the game against Sunderland on Wednesday night when you were down in Berkshire suffering with Rovers. I watched that game and even though the Blades weren't at their brilliant best, they were good. They were efficient, they were solid and credit Sunderland, they made a game of it as well. And I just thought they looked like a team that, you know, has got the ability to win in a different way. They can dig in deep. They can turn the screw when they need to. And as I said to you, it was Amahodzic that was the real eye-catching player that night. Obviously, it was Enjay on Saturday against Blackburn. So it proves that Paul Heckingbottom's got quality all across the pitch. And obviously, United are renowned for their overlapping centre-halves and have been for years. But when you've got someone like Njaya who is becoming now the the youngster in the Championship to watch. He's the flair player. He's the youngster that's going to, you know, effectively, supposedly take this league by storm. It just goes to show what array of options Paul Heckingbottom's got at his disposal. And to be fair, I don't think there are many squads that are as well-equipped across the board as Sheffield United are to mount a promotion push this season. They're already proving it after five games, albeit five games still a long, long, long way to go. But they're setting the pace. They're setting the tone so they really are looking like a force we reckon with and I mean you you look at that home record it's one defeat since Paul Heckingbottom took charge and that was a last gasp defeat to Reading in a kind of strange sort of game but obviously they had the Forest defeat as well in the playoffs so let's not forget that but I think it's 17 home games they've now played in the league under Paul Heckingbottom and they've won 13 of them and I think it's something like 13 clean sheets as well so it's it's an unbelievable record. So, United looking strong early doors. And to me, the strikers, you know, the the team to beat already. I think they're the ones that are setting the pace, obviously. But they're, they're, you know, they're winning comfortably in games and they're finding the way to do it. And I think the fact that we've seen early doors in the Championship, I think across the board, it's been a bit of a sluggish start, hasn't it? The fact that the league leaders have only got 10 points after five games. It's a quite a, a, you know, it's a low tally for the league leaders to have early doors, so it shows that United are head and shoulders above the rest. In dare I say it, a league that this year maybe early doors seems to be lacking quality. I think I don't think the Championship so far is up to its usual standard, proven by the points tally of the league leaders. So United could be in the best possible place this season to get out of this league and get back to the Premier League. But I think just a word on Paul Heckingbottom overall. I mean, when he got the job. The Sheffield United fans weren't happy. They were really uninspired by the decision. Obviously, a few months earlier, they brought in Slavisa Djukanovic. And so were we. we. I
0: think it's worth saying. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We we, we shared that view, didn't we? Yeah,
1: we did. I think everybody did, didn't they? It was a really surprise appointment that Sheffield United made. And obviously, when they just lost Djukanovic, which didn't work out, you thought they're going to go for another big, you know, high-profile name who knows the championship well. Not that Paul Koeckermott, does. obviously managed with Barnsley and Leeds, but wasn't obviously considered as one of the best managers in the business. But, I mean, what a job he's doing. He's united the team. He's got them playing with a swagger again. They've gone back to what they used to under Chris Wilder, playing with an identity, playing with smiles on faces. And the point of the fact is, when you're top of the table early doors, it it always makes good reading. But the challenge for him now is to keep his foot to the pedal with his team, keep them going, keep them driving. I still think they need another striker just to top up them attacking ranks purely because of the run that McBurney and Brewster are on. Sharp's obviously sidelined now. But you look at it, it's NGI's place to lose now. He is the one that's leading this line. But for me, they just need a little bit more support at that top end of the pitch.
0: I don't agree. I think they've got something for every game. I think when I look at that squad, I think, all right, you're playing against a low block, so you need someone that can hold the ball up, Oli McBurney. You're playing away from home, you want to play on the counter attack, you need pace, you've got Brewster, you've got, um, You've got die and Jai on the break. You need someone to unlock a, a tight defence. You've got McAtee. You've got Kadra as well as another player that can run beyond. I think they've got someone that can do everything. They've got a fox in the box in Billy Sharp when he's fit. They've got every skill set in the attacking sense to, to deal with whatever the opposition tries to do. And defensively, I'd say Reese Norrington Davis has been playing left centre back recently because uh, Clear and Clark and Jack Robinson are injured, and obviously Jack O'Connell has been injured for ages. They, he, he's slotted in perfectly. Max Lowe at left wing back. They've got Jaden Bogle to come back on the right to compete with boldock I think it's a faultless squad. I really do. I don't see it is. any holes across in it now. the
1: board. Every I don't think they need a striker squad is there. anymore.
0: I thought they might do, but now they've got. If you think if they're going to play uh, Berg, Fleck, and Norwood as a free, they've only got two spots to fill, and you've got mm. Brewster, Kadra, and Jai McBurney Sharp when he's fit. There's so many options. So just, I think yeah, it's, it's just, just the, the fact, fact that
1: obviously in. Brewster and McBurney they just you know, they don't score. That's well, we the thing. They, that but do we don't know that He
0: was injured. He has scored a true, championship. but it's just, he was, he was it's injured not, last
1: season. He's just one of those, obviously, there's such a big price tag that was obviously connected with his name and it's not quite worked out for him. It's a big season for him as it is from at Burnie. He could easily prove me wrong and get 20 goals this season, but I just think that, obviously, they've been on such bad runs for quite a while that they need somebody to come in and just ease the burden potentially on NJ, who is, you know, he's still a baby sort of thing. He's still got a, a long way to go in his development and you can't be just solely reliant on him, especially if Billy Sharp sidelined as net as well now. So, he's certainly something that I think Paul Hickenbottom should be looking at. But, I mean, across the board elsewhere, I think they're perfect. Obviously, will they keep Sander Berger? That's the big thing, isn't it? They've got to keep all of him with just, what, nine, ten days to go until the window shuts, give or take. So, could be a big big week or so for the Blades but if they keep him, that that's as good as, you know, making a new signing almost. So, they should be up there this season. They're setting the pace early doors. They're looking good. And let's be honest, to have taken six points in the space of four days at home against two sides that, overall, have had relatively good starts, it, it shows they're not to be messed with.
0: Yeah, just quickly on, on Rovers, obviously a really bad week for them. I, I have to say they were absolutely abject in midweek against Reading. They got absolutely bullied uh, in Berkshire. And Sheffield United with a better side yesterday as well. There was a, a it was a lifeless first half performance. They they were better for about fifteen minutes after half-time, after they changed formation, but the second goal just killed any hope. And from then on, it was it was again routine as the first half was. The the concern with Rovers is the squad just looks really stretched. They're already having to overwork players. Um, they need new bodies in. Ash Phillips obviously made his debut against Hartlepool, and then he's had to play Saturday, Wednesday Saturday. Wednesday Saturday, and he's seventeen years old. that shouldn't be happening. They shouldn't be relying on a seventeen year old very talented young defender. Yes, they've got injuries to Carter and Scott Wharton, but it's a little bit worrying that we're in the you know twenty first of August as we record, and they've still not brought a centre back into the club, having lost Lenehan and van heck um Of course, there is a deal agreed for Seth Vandenberg, but they're still waiting for that to get signed off by Liverpool because um they've got injuries themselves. Moving on, George, um, the other big winners of the week were Reading. They took six points, as obviously I've documented from the Wednesday night game, and they were fantastic, as I said. As bad as Rovers were in the midweek game, Reading were excellent. They really were, Um, and it's been a great week for them. Two home wins, two clean sheets, and they're now up to third in the table. They they really carried the confidence through from midweek here. They, They didn't look at the opposition and see, obviously, you'd expect Middlesbrough to finish higher than Blackburn and and suddenly change the game plan. The the midfield trio is working really well. I was really impressed by them in, in midweek when I saw them, of Jeff Hendrick, new signing Loom, who they signed on loan from Porto, and F- uh, Fauna, who scored the goal, which was a lovely finish. He's on loan from Nottingham Forest, and there's a really nice blend to that of energy, pressing ability, height, physicality, um, and I, I think that if they can keep those three fit, I think they'll win some quite a lot of games for them. I thought Shane Long was excellent in midweek as well, and he, he was really good by all accounts at the weekend. They've got Lucas Xiao coming back, who scored off the bench against Rovers. And, and Tom Ince is getting a lot of praise at the minute because of his high pressing and his work rate, which is something that... I wouldn't say you'd ever say Tom Ince is a lazy player, but he's not known for his work rate, is it? But I think he's earning a lot of plaudits from the fans because he's playing a little bit more centrally, almost as a, a front two with Shane Long. And he's he's the one with the legs. He's really pressing from the front, really applying that pressure. And he's been excellent and get, earning a lot of plaudits from the Reading fans. And it's been a great week for them after, you know, to think eight days ago, they got thumped 4-0 at Rotherham and Joe Lumley chucked three in the back of his net. Uh, two clean sheets. Obviously, Lumley didn't play yesterday being on loan from Middlesbrough. But uh, two clean sheets for the team overall in the defence. And a really, really good week for Paul Lins.
1: A remarkable week for Paul Lins, considering our last episode, we were sat here talking about a 4-0 drubbing at Rotherham and how bad they'd been and how we really feared for them, the fact that they'd gone to a newly promoted team and been absolutely blown away. And then they've responded with back-to-back home wins, back-to-back clean sheets. And it's the first time they've kept back-to-back clean sheets since last October. So it's taken them nearly a year to do that. So that's an achievement in itself. And it's back-to-back wins for the first time since February. And obviously they've won three out of three at home. So it's it's been a really good start for Reading when you think about it. You take out that Rotherham nightmare that they experienced and they've had a really, really good start to be third after the first five games. You would never have predicted that. And the thing I think I like about Paul Ince is the fact that he's been able to get an immediate response from his players. The fact that they conceded four last weekend and they followed it up back-to-back clean sheets, it shows that, that you know he's, he's drilled things into them on the training ground. They've obviously spoken about it at length and they've recorded two clean sheets against two sides one of which has had a good start to the season, the other of which you will expect to improve and be up there come the end of the campaign. So he seems to have struck the right blend. And like you said, you saw them in midweek and you were impressed by certain individuals. But like I've always said about this Reading team, and it's it is a strange one, because even though you look at the team as a collective and you think it could be in trouble this year, you break it down player for player. And there's a lot of experience in that team and a lot of good quality as well. I mean, wasn't that long ago, Jeff Hendrick was being sold for big money. Tom in's the same. Shane Long's vastly experienced. Junior Hoylet, he's always got a trick in his locker. Lucas on, on Wednesday night, Luke, really good as well. Yeah, he, Lucas Wow, we know what he's capable of when he's fit and firing. So, you know, break it down player for player. Reading have not got a bad bad team. So maybe Paul Lynch does deserve a little bit more credit than he's been worthy of in, in the last few weeks, but you always wonder, though, in the back of your mind, is this just a flash in the pan? Are Reading going to begin to spiral down the table and do what everybody's predicted them to do from the start of the season? But on this evidence, certainly at home, you know, they've got reason to believe that they can compete higher up the league this season. I mean, three, three wins out of three at home, that that's a really, really good start and not to be sniffed at. Only conceded one goal as well during that time. So take out the Rotherham nightmare. Reading have had a really, really good start. I know they lost at Blackpool on the opening day, but that was only by the odd goal. So, you know, overall, I think Paul Lynch is getting things right. He seems to have struck a good blend. Like you said, the midfield three seems to be working. And the lad on low from Forrest, Tyrese... Is it Fonra? Fonra? Fonra. I, 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 I mean, I mean he, the way he struck that ball in against Middlesbrough on, on Saturday, what a strike that was. That was as sweet as you're ever likely to see. And left Bazu... Bazounu, Zach Stefan rather, with absolutely no chance. So yeah, Middlesbrough obviously for them it's it's been a worrying start. I think we can all agree on that. They are, you know, they're not playing particularly well. Chris Wilder obviously kept them in the dressing room quite um for quite a while after the game on Saturday, he made that clear in his T V interview after the game that he wasn't impressed. Obviously they chucked it away late on at Stoke in midweek and we sit here five games in. With them, only one of two sides without a victory in the whole league. And the other side is Coventry, and they've only played two matches. So it does paint a pretty bad picture of the start that Middlesbrough have had. And they'll be bitterly disappointed with three points from their opening five games. So they've got a lot of work to do. They desperately need bodies through the door. Obviously, they've strengthened their attacking line with the signing of Rodrigo Munez on loan from Fulham this morning as we record on Sunday evening. So, hopefully, it's a, a sign of improvement in the attacking department. But, I mean, Chris Wilder, I mean, for, for a manager of his capabilities, I think he'll be very disappointed with the start that his side have had. They've got to improve. They've got to improve quickly. Otherwise, you know, people are going to start to mount a lot of pressure on them to turn things around quickly, which things can happen quickly in the Championship. We know that. But, uh, I mean, three points from the only five, it's it's a very, very poor start for Borough.
0: It really is. As you say, one of only two teams in Coventry have only played twice. So really, they're the only team outright that hasn't won properly. Um, It's not happening for them. They just don't look settled. I feel like last season, you knew what the starting eleven was going to be. And we looked at it and thought, right, if they can add a couple of strikes at the top end of the pitch and keep the rest of it the same, it'd be great. But they've they, I don't really know what the team's looking like week to week. Sometimes it's Mauer in midfield. Sometimes Crooks is playing and sometimes he's not. He was on the bench and has been for the last couple. Um, it, it's it's the back three. It's not settled. Mark Bowler's played at left centre back. Dale Fry's played there. McNair's played in midfield. He's played at centre back. Lennon's played on the right. He's played in the middle. It's not settled, and I don't really know. I know what I think their best team should be, but Chris Wilder clearly doesn't, and he hasn't got the players in as quickly as he wanted. Or as come on, come as on, as then
1: come on, then Alan Nil. What have you? What have you got for Chris Wilder?
0: Well, if I was picking the team, it would be Stefan in goal. Uh, <laughs> Lenehan, Fry and McNair as a back three, but I know he wants a left footer. But on the current options, that would, would be my team. Giles and Jones at wing back. Mauer in, coming in for the Tavernia role with uh, House and Sat Crooks to the right. And then at the minute, it would be Rodriguez, Rodrigo Munoz, who's just signed from Fulham, of course, who couldn't have played yesterday. And Marcus Force up front. But the strikers are the most interchangeable bits of that. But I think the rest of it, but it's the back three. He doesn't seem to know what he wants. Like plays playing in different roles, and it's you know we're gone are the days where you can just go. Well, you're a centre back. You can play on the left or the right or in the middle. It don't work like that. We know that Chris Wilder don't work like doesn't work like that. And I, it it's not helping clearly. Wilder was obviously not impressed. Plenty of work to do before the window shuts, and it's going to be a big ten days or so for Middlesbrough. That's for sure. Um, West Brom, they got their first victory of the season as well. Really big win for them as they beat Hull City 5-2. And, and this has definitely been a result that's been coming. They've missed a lot of chances in a lot of games. They were definitely the better team against Watford. They probably could have won at Middlesbrough on opening day as well. They had chances. On another day, they might have got a point when they played Blackburn Rovers. So this this has been one where you look at the underlying data and look at their expected goals, and you've seen they've been underperforming it so much they were going to give someone a thumping and that was Hull City at the weekend. Some really clinical finishing in this one as well as some generous defending from Hull. I really like the strikes from Swift first of all, left foot through a crowd of bodies, hard and low into the far corner and then Darnell Furlong with a great strike from range as well. It was exactly what the team needed, exactly what Steve Bruce needed and they're still chasing that elusive striker um, to try and bring some Added reinforcement with Darren D. K. looking like he's coming out for a couple of months with a fire injury. But a big win for Steve Bruce and West Brom. And probably one they've deserved on the balance of their season so
1: far. Definitely deserved. I've been quite impressed from what I've seen from West Brom, even though the results haven't suggested that they've started the season particularly well. Just thinking back to the Watford game, I thought they were superb that night against Watford. They played really, really well. And on the other day, they would have won that game quite comfortably. So, it has been coming. They have been gearing up to a result like this. And I think for Steve Bruce, obviously, everybody, you know, has got their opinions on his style of football and things like that. But overall, West Brom have been playing some really good stuff so far. So, this result was coming. It had been, it had been, you know, it had been bubbling. It had been ready to come to the surface. And it was it was only a matter of time before somebody took a bit of a tonking. And unfortunately for Hull, it was them, which you wouldn't have expected really with the start of the season Hull had made. So, you know, West Brom now, they've they have laid down the marker. They've announced their arrival this season and they've got to try and maintain these standards moving forward. I mean, I think they've got a League Cup game coming up this week. Then it's back to the League Action Cup the weekend. So, there's no time for Steve Bruce to rest. He's got to keep going, got to keep striving. But I think the big thing against Hull was the fact that, you know, they were able to put the ball in the back of the net five times. And one thing that I alluded to me, though, in the... Last few games, he's graded the Garner, Obviously, he went missing a little bit last season. We didn't see the best of him. But in the last few games, he's started to resurface and he's looked a real threat. Got an assist at the weekend, got an assist in the Watford game, got a goal in the Blackburn defeat. So, he's showing signs of life again after a turbulent campaign last year. So, with players like that and somebody like John Swift, Carlin Grant, we know he's a reliable source of goals. West Brom should be up there. And they've got goals in the ranks to do this to teams because, like Steve Bruce said in his in his interview after the game, he said that it had been building. We'd been playing well, the Watford game particularly. We played really, really well. So, you know, when you look at West Brom's fixtures, well, they've not had the easiest of starts on paper, really. Obviously, they've been to Middlesbrough, they've played Watford. Hull have had a good start. They went to Blackburn, who had a good start. So, you know, they've not had the easiest of opening a few fixtures. So, I think, considering they've played well in practically all of them, is testament to what they've done in the transfer market. Steve Bruce, obviously, after a full summer in charge, has got his ideas across. And they've finally reap the reward from it for the first time. So really intrigued to see how they kick on because on paper, they've probably got the best crop of attackers in the league when they're at full throttle because we know what Jed Wallace can do. We know what John Swift can do. We know what Colin Grant can do. Dean Garner, I've mentioned, we know when he's at his best, he's one of the most liveliest wingers in the league. So if they can perhaps just add another striker... To the ranks, There's been talk of Lucas Schwab from Reading. Not quite sure to think of that because of obviously Daryl D.K.'s injury woes. It's probably not it wise to what, sign another striker. And obviously he's made of glass, which we know that that's well, the thing, isn't it? He's
0: got one year left in his contract, Jarrell, If they yeah, pay three million pounds for him and keep him fit, he could file into the Premier could, League. He's got the it quality could do quite easily, and depends obviously if Steve Reading Bruce, won what Reading want.
1: And obviously Steve Bruce knows Lucas Schwab as well. They've worked together at Sheffield Wednesday in the past. So, it will be interesting to see what they do, but they've announced their arrival, they've proven that they are capable of putting the ball in the back of the net at a rapid rate of knots, so now for West Brom it's just about gathering some momentum, keeping the belief going, because they've only lost one of their opening five, even though they've only won one, so it's been the draws that have killed them, but, you know, in a, in a division that is looking so tight already, they're 14th, but they're only four points off the top, there's a lot of lot of football to be played, but... West Brom needed that first win. They got it in style.
0: Yeah, really good win for Steve Bruce's side. I think on Dean Garner, the point you were just making, I think he's miles better on the left when he's not complicated oh, the game. When he played on the right, I thought he struggled. He's not that kind of winger. It's it's almost like modern day. If you, you're left foot, you've got to play on the right and, and vice versa. Some players are just better playing on the right side, on, on, their, on the, the right foot. And just you know, someone like Dean Garner, he's got great pace, great athleticism. Knock it round him and get some quality deliveries into the box. Jed Wallace 100%. does that brilliantly on the right, albeit nowhere near as quick. But if you've got Wallace delivering and you've got Dean Garner delivering, you know the pass he played over the top for, Colin Grant when he uh, he scored against Watford, brilliant technique, and that that's what what he needs. He needs to be playing on the right side. It's where he's been playing his best football by a mile. So good to see him back playing well. Norwich City, good week for them as well. Back-to-back wins and a first clean sheet of the season on Friday night as they beat Millwall 2-0. Three goals this week for Josh Sargent down the middle with Timu Pukki out. But it, for me, it's the, the introductions of uh, Dan Elsonani, who's someone I really rated last season on loan at, Hull, at Huddersfield. He did really well. Um, set up the opener in this one with a lovely little deft interchange with Sargent and in for on goal. Good finish. And Kieran Dowell as well. Both players coming in, they just added creativity. Um, from central areas and from out wide on the right in terms of Sanani they start the season with players like are out there um, and instead someone like Sanani just offers a little bit more subtlety and Norwich are going to have most of the ball in most championship games you know teams that generally going to sit back and, and try and play in a low block and you need players like Sanani or players like Kieran Dow that can unlock the door and those two I think have made a big difference this week and obviously I'm not just saying that because they settled both goals because it was then Kieran Dow that laid on Sergeant for the second as well with a nice pass, but I think they ju- they just opened the 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 defenses up a little bit more for for Norwich. And yes, you need runners and someone like Sargent, whether he's playing down the middle or from the right, he can do that. Um, but I think having at least one of Dow or Sinani in the team, which they didn't have at the start of the season, you know they were playing Cantwell out there or they were playing Rashidser out there or Onel Hernandez played out there, and it's good to have those players and those types, but I think someone like Dow, someone like Sonani, Cantwell I would probably put in that bracket as well, to be fair. They just need those to unlock the door, and to, to certainly get through packed defences, and I watched the first half of this game, probably the first hour, and Norwich weren't really getting anywhere, but Sanali and Dow probably looked the brightest, so it was no surprise to me when I um, watched the, the extended highlights later on, to see that those two were the, the architects in, in setting up both goals.
1: Definitely, one of a handful of clubs that have had a really good week, into the win in midweek, then following I mean, it up with another victory of the weekend. Weeks, hasn't there? there has there has been a fair few, and we're going to touch on another one shortly. I'm sure that I'm quite uh, keen to talk about. But Norwich, obviously, we spoke after the defeat to Hull last weekend, and we were quite worried about them. Obviously, they had a really poor start, one point from the opening three, and then they followed it up with six out of six. So, Dean Smith will be relieved, I think, more than anything else. They desperately need to, you know, lay down a marker and you know, announced themselves as being capable of winning a football match after such a, a torrid campaign last season in the Premier League. Obviously beaten a uh, out of sorts, poor, struggling Huddersfield side, then beat a Millwall side that, you know, are never easy to get the better of, let's say that much. Obviously, much more difficult at home, obviously. But Josh Sargent it seems to be the man that's coming up with the goods at the minute. Three goals in two games for him. Shouldering the responsibility of of Dean Smith's main man at the top end of the pitch and He's stepping up into that role, obviously. Puki yet to get off the mark this season, didn't start on Friday night. So it seems like Dean Smith, obviously, after you know the last couple of years when Norwich have been on the Championship, there's been an over reliance on some one player to get the goals. It seems like they've found somebody else in Captain America, in Josh Sargent, that's going to do the business. So Dean Smith will be pleased with that. A lot to like about the performance on Friday night. It was professional. It was solid. And it was just what they needed. They needed to find a way just to, you know, get a win. Build on that Huddersfield victory. First clean sheet of the season. And Carrow Road, to be fair, even though we spoke last week about, obviously, after the defeat to Hull, they have taken seven points from nine at carra Road. So they are threatening to make that a bit of a fortress. I think they'll be pleased with that return so far. Just got to try and sort out this away form because obviously they've lost their opening two on the road at um, Cardiff and Hull. So they've got to try and sort that out. Started with started with the weekend coming up. I think they're on the road this weekend, just loading the fixtures up in front of me now. Poor preparation, that, not having it up in front of me. Um, but they've got to Sunderland this weekend, so that promises to be a really difficult one for, for Dean Smith's side. It's the early kick-up on Saturday lunchtime, but before that, they've got Bournemouth and the Carabao Cup, so another big week for them. So you look at it and you think, you know, Norwich, they're a team that are obviously... Desperate to get back at the first attempt. They're also a side that's in transition, trying to readjust, try and get that winning mentality back after such a difficult time last year. And there was bound to be a bit of a hangover from last season, there's no doubt about it. When you've been used to losing practically every single week, you are going to struggle to get that out of your system and get into a rhythm of winning games again. So they were pleased with the week they've had. Back-to-back wins. It's you know, it's made, sent out a statement that we are capable of winning football matches again. They'll want to be in the conversation at the top end of the pitch. So, for me, the biggest feeling Dean Smith will be feeling at the moment is a sigh of relief because they desperately, desperately needed to get some points on the board after their first three games. They've done that. So, now it's just all about trying to regain some momentum, keep it going.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Good week for the Canaries and certainly a couple of big wins that that Dean Smith will certainly be grateful for. Another team that collected six points this week, George, was Bristol City. They beat Cardiff City 0-0 two or two nil should I say uh, two wins, two more clean sheets and that's very on bristol City light to to certainly keep the back door shut. They were the better side though again against Cardiff today, they were a better side in midweek against Luton and another goal for the latest cab off the rank, the latest youngster to come through their academy and, and have a breakthrough season and that's Tommy Conway, really good header uh, this week scored in his last three games he won the U- under-19s Euros with England in the summer, just for a bit of background that anyone doesn't know him that well he's been in the academy since he was seven and the three-pronged attack that did so well last season of Vyman, Martin and Semenya has has suddenly become uh, Conway, Wells and Vyman and particularly Narkey Wells is someone that I've never really felt like Pearson fancied so intrigued to see him getting a run when it'd be quite easy to just play Vyman and um, Conway up front and play Alex Scott as a number 10 or something like that but with Semenyo out-injured and, and Chris Martin out-injured, they've, they've stuck with that system that's worked so well for them. And they're getting results. And if they can keep the back door shut, the have got quite a good squad on paper. When you think they've got Alex Scott, they've got you know five options to play in those attacking three spots that I've just mentioned. Um, Sykes was obviously suspended, so Alex like Scott played at right wing-back. And they have Masengo in midfield with Williams. They've got some good options. It's just keeping that back door shut that's the big task, test for them. That said, what I would add to this, the point I made about Cardiff last week in praising them when they beat Birmingham so handsomely, uh, well, handsomely in terms of the performance, but not the scoreline, which is my exact point, pretty big chance at nil-nil in this game. Max Waters goes through, saved by Bentley. If they got a different number nine, perhaps that goes in, it changes the complexion of the game. And this was the point I was making last week about Cardiff. Whilst praising the performance, and they were excellent against Birmingham, they need another number nine, I think, to to take the chance because they're not going to have that much dominance in every game. And obviously, with this one at nil nil, Championship games are defined on such small margins that could have changed the game. But Bristol City were good value, like what I'm seeing from Conway, like how Pearson's trying to bring through the younger players and bring down the average uh, wage bill and uh, spend of the squad. So, positives for Bristol City, a good week for them
1: a very good week for them and one that, you know, they needed to get a couple of good results out of as well. So they've done that, like you said, back-to-back clean sheets is probably the biggest achievement that they've managed this week. I'll give you they... a
0: challenge. You like your stats for the podcast page. Find out when the last time Bristol City had back-to-back clean sheets. Don't do it now. It'll I,
1: take too long. I, sh- I shall work that out. But no, let's be honest, they've had a really good week Bristol City. I mean, obviously, you know, two successive home games against sides, you, you know, you look at and think they've had Obviously, Cardiff an okay start to the season. Luton, obviously, had a difficult start, but have won since. We'll talk about that shortly. But for Bristol City, I mean, they've got promising youngsters coming through to mould around. Obviously, the main man in Vibert, and we're seeing the latest one, aren't we, in Tommy Conway? I mean, he's got four goals now and an assist in his last four in league and cup, so he's looking like a really promising prospect. Took his header really well on Sunday against Cardiff. He scored in the week... uh, Got an assist in the weekends. Luton as well. So, you know, he's looking like a player that could be really, really promising early doors. And obviously, you don't want to hype these youngsters up too early on. But when you've seen what young Alex Scott's done and others in the Bristol City ranks recently, Masengo's really kicked on. It offers potential that he's going to be quite a big player for Nigel Pearson this season. So, in that aspect... It's a really good thing. But on the other side of it, under under Nigel Pearson, Bristol City have never really struggled to score goals. So that's, that's always been a consistent theme in Bristol City's play under him. They've never struggled to put the ball in the net. He's been keeping it out of it at the other end. And this week they've managed to do that. Back-to-back clean sheets, as you said, has been a long, long time coming. I'm not sure on specifically when it was last time, but I will work it out and check. So... Nigel Pearson, you know, he's got to be really pleased with the week that Bristol City have had. And all of a sudden, those wins have propelled them up to seventh in the table. And we always say you can't really get a fair reflection of the league table until probably 10 games in, probably mid-October, really, until it properly starts to take shape with everybody taking up their position. But I think Bristol City, you know, after the, the troubles that they've had over the last couple of years or so, where they've you know had some freakish results, where they've struggled to keep the ball out the back of the net, They'd have been very happy to be seventh after their first five games, I'm sure. And let's not forget, obviously, they they lost to Hull, who have had a good start themselves. Obviously, they beat a Luton side that had been struggling. They obviously lost to Sunderland, who have had a good start. So they've not had the easiest of starts on paper as well, let's be fair, compared to who they've been up against. But you look at their coming games now, they've got Blackpool away next in the league, and they've got Huddersfield at home. You know, they're two games that they could realistically take six points from if they're up and at it because they've got the firepower. That's the thing. So, Nigel Pearson, you know, another week's time, he could be sat in a really good position, reflecting on a really, really good start to the season. So, I think Bristol City, you they're one of them teams that you never quite know but you're going to get in full because they can put the ball in the net, they just can't keep it out. But they've proven this week they are capable of doing that. So, a promising week for them. Obviously, like with every team, you don't want to get too carried away. But, you know, he's, he, they've made strides this week and they've they've achieved something that last weekend you probably wouldn't have thought of possible with back-to-back clean sheets. That's the biggest takeaway. Obviously, so the wins are the most important aspect. But in terms of the way they've done it, back-to-back clean sheets is a really big achievement for them.
0: And when you look at that squad and that starting eleven on paper, it's got a nice balance to it. I do find it, it, quite, I find it quite interesting that Kane Wilson's still not a kick, got a kick. He's obviously preferred Sykes at right wing back. Then even when he got suspended, Alex Scott played there um, this afternoon as we record on Sunday. So interesting dynamic there. But it's a nice balance to the back three with Viner, who's got a bit of pace and he's a little bit less experienced than um, Naismith in the middle controlling things. And then on the left side, Rob Atkinson, who scored, who's a, a good prospect in, in his second season at Championship level. So should really kick on after signing from Oxford a uh, cup well, last summer, oh, last, last summer. So I like the look at the squad. If they can keep the goals out, then they've certainly got goals going forward and and, and a few options. They're not over-reliant on some menu or, or one player in particular. They've got probably five options in those forward free spots that, that can score goals for them. Yeah, they've, um, got, they've
1: got others stepping up now. And that's yeah. the thing, obviously. Vyman's the, the main focus. But Naki Wells has shown signs of in the last couple of games. Conway's looking sharp. There's a, there's a lot to like. And for, for Nigel Pearson, really, he, he's spoilt for choice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's a nice predicament for him to be in. Luton Town, big week for them. Big win after losing to Bristol City. A response needed away at Swansea City. And they got that with a 2-0 win against the Swans. Bad week for Swansea equally. Probably start on them. Um, two injury time own goals against Millwall, which we've not spoke about, which is very funny. Um, and in this one, though, Russell might be cursing his up because I think Fisher, the goalkeeper, should have done better for Alan Campbell's strike that sort of squirms under him, the first goal. And then the second one, really good feet from sub uh, Carlton Morris to bamboozle Ben Cabango, for being honest, in that right channel. And firing left-footed. I really like Carlton Morris. I think if you can keep him fit and you can get him, you know, sharp, I think we saw with that goal the way that, despite being quite a stocky and big forward, he's got great feet. He can shoot off the right, shoot off the left with equal quality. And it was a really good finish on the counter-attack. And, you know, I back Luton for the top six, let's not forget. And and they've taken a little bit of time to warm up this season. This was their first win. But they did that last season too. Now, I don't think they can afford to give themselves that much of a um, deficit as they did last season. You know, they're not going to have that level of a run that they had from January to to the end of the season every year. It's impossible that it's not sustainable. But I'm not worried about them. I think they'll they'll click, and this was a, a, an important win for
1: them. Very important victory. They had to get it on the board, didn't they? Obviously, after losing at Bristol City in the week, they lost to Preston last weekend. The goals have been struggling, only scoring one to their opening four. Obviously, dumped out the Carabao Cup by Morecambe as well. It was a, you know, for a side that finished in the top six last season, it was a really difficult start for Nathan Jones and Luton. But they went to Swansea, put in a professional away performance got the job done, took the three points up and running. So for them, it was a really big win, a really, really important one. Because obviously, you know, when you've played your first four games and you've only scored one goal, it is a concern. And and questions do start to mount and doubts begin to be raised. But you never, ever doubt an Nathan Jones team. You know that Luton will click, like you've said. They've made quite a few additions this summer. It is always going to take time to bed it all together. Obviously, Carlton Morris up and running now. So that's a weight off his shoulders. And you know, Luton will kick on from here. They're not going to be a team that's going to be in trouble this season. Can they mount a top six push? I think they've got as good a chance as anybody. Because as I've said earlier on, I don't think the standard certainly so far that has so far been set has been as good this season. We've seen in recent years, highlighted by the league leaders after five games have only got ten points. So it, it suggests that there really is going to be a very open battle in this promotion race this season. So I think Luton, considering we've we've really praised. West Brom a few minutes ago. West Brom are only a point better off than Luton. So Luton, yeah, they'll be disappointed that they've only won one of their own in five. But in compared to those around them, it's not exactly a disastrous start. They're up and running. So the task for them now is keep the foot to the floor, build on it. And as well as that, obviously, let's not forget, it was the first clean sheet away from home this season as well. So good positive away performance all around for Luton. And we know Nathan Jones. We know what his teams are like. They're always going to be... You know, hard to beat. They work hard. They frustrate you. And they've gone to a team like Swansea, who, let's be honest, even though their home record has been dire in the last few months, you know, Swansea are not a bad side when they're, when they're up and at it. So, big win for Luton. Just got to make sure now that they maintain these standards and kick on.
0: Two 1-0 wins to round us off, starting with potentially the beginning of the end, in my opinion, for for one championship manager. And that's, that's Michael O'Neill. Stoke were beaten 1-0 at home by Sunderland. Credit Sunderland first and foremost. They're adapting so well to the to life in the Championship, as as I think everyone expected them to, because they had a Championship manager in League One last year in Alex Neil. I still go back to some Sunderland fans, and I know it's a small minority, and I know the hindsight's a wonderful thing, but the idea that Roy Keane was ever going to be a better appointment than Alex Neil, and some fans thought that it was almost rude to suggest that Alex Neil was a coup. Well, I mean, I think he's proven that it was an absolute coup for them to get him in. He's been brilliant. And the trio of Sims, Pritchard and uh, Ross Stewart, it's so dangerous. I like it so much. There's a great blend of everything that you want in an attacking trident in that those three. I do think Joe Bursick should have done better with the goal, though he gets a good hand on it, should really push it wide. But having lost Daniel Ballard, who's probably their biggest and most eye-catching summer signing uh, expense-wise, they've lost him to a an injury that's going to be a couple of months at least. They've had to readjust. luco 9 has gone into the back three and the first clean sheet of the season follows it. So really good for them to readjust and, and adapt. But for me, this is more about Stoke. And I, I've always defended Michael O'Neill and I've always liked him, but it's un, it's undeniable to me that this squad is playing less than the sum of its parts. He's got an attacking options of de Lapp. Brown, Gale, Campbell and they're not scoring goals and they don't really look like scoring goals. Nick Powell too, when he can keep him fit, he's another option. They have had some rotten luck with injuries during his tenure with Campbell getting injured, with Harry Souter getting injured, you know, Josh Lawrence now going to be out for eight weeks, we've seen this week. So they have had some bad injury luck but I am struggling to find the argument for O'Neal in at the moment after a poor start. We knew it, he was sort of trying to save his job at the back end of the summer he did that. They got a bit of a response. But they're too patchy, you know, we've seen in his first two full seasons charge, they finished 14th twice, which is not acceptable really for the quality of squad he's had. For the money they've spent, despite the fact that they're trying to get some of the players that came in under Gary Rowett, they've got them off the wage books, but it's still a decently assembled squad. And to finish 14th twice and have the same pattern where they've been in and around the playoff places about seventh at Christmas and then completely fall off a cliff at the back end of the season, to then start this season as poorly as they have, I just don't know what I'm going to get from Stoke from one week to the next, really. And that, at this point, two and a half years into Michael O'Neill's tenure, so early in the season, with a good squad, I I think that there's other managers out there, ultimately, that could get more out of this Stoke squad than than Michael O'Neill has and could.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. It has been an underwhelming start to the campaign for them. And you looked at their summer recruitment, which obviously has been added to again in the week with the addition of Liam Delap and Fosu Henry. They, they've had a good summer in terms of the players they've brought in. they brought in some good signings. Dwight Gale, I know obviously he's on this really, really long barren run now without a goal, but we know once he gets up and running, he is arguably one of the best strikers in the Championship over the last four or five years. So, They've got to find a way to get him going and get other parts of the jigsaw going as well because they are underperforming both individually in terms of players and as a club collectively. So Michael O'Neill, you know, you would think that he is feeling a little bit of pressure from above because the standards that Stoke setting setting are not good enough. And they should be pushing for the, the playoffs at the very minimum this season with the players that they've got in a league that looks very wide open. But against Sunderland, it was never going to be easy, to, to Sunderland's credit. They, they never make an easy game for anybody. They even gave Sheffield United a really good go with 10 men in midweek. So let's not write Sunderland off in playing their part in this. They produced a really good away performance. But I mean, Stoke, as you said, it's, it is questionable that they are continuing on this kind of level of mediocrity where they're not really making the progress that they should be. And being honest, if I look at that, that team that started, on, on Saturday and compare it to the bench, I'd argue the substitute bench looks stronger than the start 11, if I'm being honest. I think the bench actually looks in better shape with the players that they got on that bench on, on Saturday afternoon with Tyrese Campbell, Dwight Gale, Sam Klukas, Aidan Flynn, all vastly experienced Championship players who've got a lot to give. So, you do have to question, is Mike Colonial the man to take Stoke City forward? He's had... You know, he's had two full seasons at the helm now. They've not really made the progress what they want to do. But the question is, do you give him a little bit longer to try and work things out? It is very, very early on in the season. Let's not forget that. We're only five games in. This is
0: not a reaction off the first five games. It's a worrying trend from the last two and a half years. He was on thin ice already. And if the poor start to the season continues and ten games in they've only won two or three, the previous two and a half years, I'm afraid, should say that ultimately he has underperformed at Stoke City.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, as Bristol City have done this week, of Norwich have done this week, two wins and the picture changes completely. So it is very early days, but you would say that he is under a degree of pressure already because of, like you say, the gradual decline that they've been on and the, the stagnation almost that they've, they've experienced in terms of their league positions. But you look at their upcoming games, They've got Blackburn away next, and they've got Swansea at home, Reading away, Luton at home. They're all games that, you know, they're equally capable of winning, but they're also ones they could quite easily lose as well, which is pretty much the nature of the championship for anybody. But it's like, when you when you look at it, Reading away, you'd think, yeah, Stoke, the players have got, they should be winning that game. But Reading have had a good start. They're looking strong at home. Swansea at home. Swansea are capable of producing a result when they put their minds to it. These are games where Michael O'Neill's really got to say to his players, look, you've got to go out and prove to me that you are capable and prove why I've brought you in. Because I think Dwight Gale, it was a sign I looked at and I thought, they've got a goal scorer. They've got a season championship goal scorer. His goals to games ratio in this league is phenomenal.
0: they had a season championship goal scorer two years ago in the sense of he's not really kicked the ball for two years.
1: Yeah, I know, but you know what I mean? But his record speaks for itself sort of thing. And you would have thought he'd you know, make a better start than this, but he's obviously he's playing catch-up in terms of having not played a lot of football. Tyrese Campbell, obviously he's had his injury issues. So it is just a case of everything coming together and slotting into place. I think, you know, he's got the ingredients there. It's just how he mixes it all together to make it work because he has got some good players, certainly in the attacking department. So you would argue that he is probably the championship manager at the minute. It's probably under the biggest sense of pressure. So, you know, a big couple of weeks coming up for him. Be interested to see what else they do in the window. Obviously, Liam delap that's a good signing. It's one that they were chasing for a while. He's got a point to prove. Big chance for him. First loan spell. So if they get the best out of him, get the best out of Gale, best out of Jacob Brown, there's goals in the team. There's no doubt about that. It's just a case of him putting, you know, thought into practice. So big, big period ahead for Michael O'Neill. But your fear is, you know, these next two games coming up, He's, he's got to win at least one of them.
0: Definitely. And they go to Blackburn next Saturday as well, so that'll be an interesting game.
1: Yeah, then Swansea. Um,
0: yeah. Birmingham 0-1, final game of the weekend. Brilliant win for the Latics after being down to 10 men for nearly the majority of the game. Could John Ruddy have done better for the winner for Nathan Broadhead's shot? I thought it went in quite centrally. <laughs> I
1: thought so. I, I said that at the time when I saw it. I thought, keeper of his experience... Should there was a be a couple doing of better moments be in better. that game
0: on the high extended highlights I watched that that I thought Ruddy could have done better with, and I've never been that convinced about him. I I, yeah. I kind of prefer Neil Leverage, if I'm being honest, but I don't think that's a very popular opinion amongst Birmingham fans. I don't think Everidge is mm. brilliant for them, but I've never been sold on Ruddy, and I, I remember how good Everidge was at Cardiff.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Good to see Charlie
0: White back on the pitch. That that was probably the feel good story of this game. Back yeah, on the pitch, setting up the to winner. See. And and funnily enough, Wigan ended the game with a higher expected goals tally than Birmingham, despite being down to ten men for the majority of this, the game. So I think that shows that Birmingham really struggled dealing well, having the man advantage almost. They struggled taking the the game to Wigan, um, having earned a really really good point in fairness against against Watford in the week. It's not been a bad start for John Eustace, but it's been a really good start for all the recently promoted teams, hasn't it? Obviously, we'll touch on Rotherham shortly in the draw section, but they've only lost once. Uh, Wigan have only lost once as well. I think Sunderland have as well, if that's correct. No,
1: Wigan's still unbeaten so far. Wigan still unbeaten so. Yeah, so I've, I've actually put it out on the podcast page today. I'll just drag the tweet up now. It's one defeat in a combined total of 13 games for the newly promoted team. So they've really settled in well. Absolutely. And I think... And obviously Sunderland have obviously set the bar in terms of the most victories, but Rotherham have you know they've they've been really really good for what people expected. Good point at QPR, good point at Preston. If you'd offered any Rotherham fan two points from those two games, they'd have took they'd have taken that. And just a word on um, Og Benning as well, looking really sharp. Another goal for him at the weekend, and they want the you know window. Rotherham they they've,
0: want the window to shut, don't they?
1: They do. They have got a. You know, they're at risk of losing a few more of their key players. Like A. Wiles, Dan Barless. I mean, Paul Warren, again, proving what a good manager he is. They've had a really good start, Rotherham. Just, to you know, put a few more building blocks in that team. And they've got a good good chance of survival this year, definitely.
0: Yeah. So, in terms of the draws, obviously, touch there. QPR one, Rotherham won. I do think QPR probably had enough chances to win it by the end. Uh, but they've only got one win from their first five league games as well and cup game as well. So Michael Beale, not the or Mick Beale as he prefers, not, not the best start to life there. The, the game of the weekend, George, was probably Burnley 3, Blackpool 3 at Turf Moor. <laughs> brilliant comeback from Blackpool. It was a, a six-goal thriller that really had a bit of everything. Um, some sloppy defending, I have to say, from Burnley in the second half to give away the goals. And Blackpool probably should have won it in the end. C- can we talk about that touch from Jerry Yates to flick it round the corner and then obviously the shot was saved by Mirage or it just went over the bar but he let it run and then flicked it with his back leg round the defender. It was sensational. If if like, I know it sounds stupid but if Messi had done that or Mbappe, it would be going wild. It was unbelievable. From That's Jerry. my
1: line. That's my line, the match of the day comparison line.
0: Yeah, I don't like using it really because I think it's overused. But it was sensational, that touch around the corner. Um, obviously, a brilliant strike from Josh Brownhill as well to open the scoring. I don't think it was a red card for, for Sonny Carey. I'm going to say it now. I, I, I don't think that's a red card. It was very similar to one I watched. I was watching Newcastle Man City early, which was a really good game. And Trippier got sent off for a very similar tackle and it then got rescinded by VAR. I don't think it's a red card. He's not out of control. It's very cynical, and it's a yellow card, but it's not a red card. Matson's definitely was because he, he gets up and just completely shoves him over, and it's it's a ridiculous reaction. But I don't think it's a red card for Carey. I, I don't at all. Um, but unfortunately, well, unfortunately for Blackpool, he was sent off. But that was a great game at, at Turf Moor, and Burnley kind of playing themselves into trouble, and then seemed to really drop the intensity second half, and, and Vincent Company seemed to agree, uh, and then. This is becoming a regular feature on the podcast. We've not had much chance to talk about Preston North End this season because it's a fourth nil nil of the season, nil nil with Watford this time. It's five without conceding, which is the positive. And equally, I'm I'm adamant they're going to batter someone soon because their expected goals tally is, is through the roof. Um, why I don't Emil Reese being on the bench is a bit of a weird one. Obviously, the speculation he could go. Middlesbrough were linked in the week. I'm not sure there's any legs in that really. I don't think Middlesbrough would pay the sort of money that Preston would want to get him out. So, playing Daniel Johnson sort of up front with Troy Parrott is not going to help with the goal shortage. But they're keeping it tight at the back, which is doing really well. Uh, And then from a Watford point of view, obviously they've lost Emmanuel Dennis. It looks like his Ismail Assar is going to go to Aston Villa now. And obviously they've rejected two bids for João Pedro from Newcastle United as well. Uh, Keenan Davies has come in, but he's not match fit. And there's some discussion that Cameron Archer will be coming in on loan to compensate as part of the deal that we'll see Sargo to Villa. So that would be a good sign in as well. But uh Rob Edwards having to pretty much rework his his front front free. Um if he can keep Jar Pedro, I think that would be a really good bit of business for them and, and really important. But a good weekend in the championship once again, and, and that rounds up our weekend action. This is the Championship
1: Chat Podcast.
0: Moving on to our Shocks and Bankers now, George, to round off the pod. Who have you got for this weekend coming up?
1: Well, I was debating in terms of a banker, in terms of resulting exchange for a result, for just something else and just tipping a Preston clean sheet, to be fair. But I am going to go for Rotherham United as my banker this weekend at home to Birmingham. Miller's had a really good start, obviously crushed Reading in the last home game and, you know, been a lot to like about the start they've had under Paul Warren. So, Rotherham for my banker this weekend. In terms of a shock, I've struggled to pick one out this weekend, but I'm going to... you know what? Gonna...
0: I was the opposite. I had loads of potential really? shocks and struggled for a banker.
1: Well, in terms of my shock, I'm going to go for Wigan to beat Burnley. That was one of another, the ones that I nearly n- picked. Another, another Lancashire derby for Burnley. So, you know, um, Wigan, um, reasonably good start to the campaign. They've played some decent stuff, obviously a good away winner at the weekend. Burnley, they're playing well but they're just lacking that killer instinct to get over the line. Obviously scored three at the weekend against Blackpool, but still wasn't enough. And after obviously dominating that opening game at Huddersfield on the first night, which seems weeks ago already, they've not really flexed their muscles fully to win a game yet. So I fancy Wigan, who I think have taken two points from two in their first two home wins. So they're still chasing that first home win. So fancy Wigan to get that one. But Rotherham for the banker, Wigan for my shock. So two of the newly promoted sides going to, Hopefully, continue their good starts.
0: I nearly went for both of those in the same order, particularly the Wigan one as a, a shock. But I went for, for my shock. i going for Sunderland to beat Norwich um, at the Stadium of Light. I just think that despite Norwich getting the two wins over the line, I think they've looked a little bit nervous and edgy still. I still think they're trying to find the confidence and they need to play into it. And I think Sunderland are just playing have got more confidence at the minute. They've got more momentum. They're playing on, on cloud nine a little bit at the minute. And then they're just not scared of anyone. And I think they'll get right in the faces of, of Norwich. You know, you think of the two performances they've put in so far at home against Coventry and against QPR. They were the better team in both, certainly for large portions against uh, Coventry and, and absolutely battered QPR. And it, But for um, a late rally to get a point, they would have won that game. So I'm going to go for them to beat Norwich. And my bankers is going to be Middlesbrough to beat Swansea. Given that Middlesbrough haven't got a league win yet, that's a little bit controversial, but I just think they're due a win. And I think Swansea have been pretty poor at the start of this season, and the sort of team I think might roll over a little bit. And I think, you know, Chris Wilder's promised to shake things up this week. And I just think, after a bit of a roller kid, and I think it's, it's nice opposition for them at the Riverside to potentially beat, you know, they haven't had easy opposition at home. It was the home form that was so excellent last season and you know draws against West Brom and Sheffield United is not a really a bad start is it at home to the season. So it's not like they're particularly struggling at home yet. So I think they might get 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 that uh, get that first win and beat Swansea as my banker and my shock is some to beat Norwich City. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts from and you'll get the latest episode every single week. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at champchatpod24 as well. A huge thanks, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast,
1: your home of news, views, and debate from England's second tier.